So, Mark. Yes. Uh, this week's movie is no good. Uh, I don't know what mood I was in when I watched this, but for some reason, I enjoyed this movie. There were some really bad jokes, but are you ever in a mood where no matter what you're watching, you enjoy it? Yes, absolutely. And there are things in this movie that I liked more than expected. I particularly want to shout out the very excellent voice performance of Seth Rogen yeah, as Bob. I think that's really why I enjoyed watching this movie, because they had a lot of Bob, and I did not get tired of it. Anytime Bob opened his mouth, I was there for it. And frankly, all of his like physical gags were good, too. Uh, Bob thinking that he is dating Derek got me every time. <laughs> every time! <laughs> every time. It's so funny. So my point was, in the spirit of Seth Rogen's performance here, What's your favorite voice performance in an otherwise bad animated movie? Well, in honor of today's episode and our running DreamWorks commitment, I would love- We haven't been back to DreamWorks since January. Oh my god. What was your last DreamWorks? The Croods. Uh, I guess we we were on a high and we didn't want to break the streak. Yeah. Uh, I was immediately thinking of the film Shark Tale. Naturally. And there are two performances in that movie that really stick out. One is Angelina Jolie as the sexy fish, because I think she does a very good job of being a sexy voice on a sexy fish. And the other is, of course, Martin Scorsese as the owner (laughs) of a car wash that is a blowfish. That is also what I thought of at first. Obviously. He's giving a performance. He's trying so hard. I respect it. I don't even it. think he's bad in it. No, he's not. He's great. Bad movie, though. Just utterly terrible. Oh, yeah. Shark Tale's no good. Don't worry. Um, Rob Letterman, the co-director of this movie, also co-directed Shark Tale. So we've got that straight through line. Ah, uh, of course. That said, Letterman has had... His career has gone up since then. He then directed the Jack Black Gulliver's Travels, which, like, not great. But then he levels up to Goosebumps. And then he levels up to Detective Pikachu. He really likes Jack Black. And Pikachu. And Pikachu. I liked Detective Pikachu. Yeah, the movie's good. It was very fun. Anyway, what is your favorite voice performance in a bad movie? I mean, I did think of Marty in Shark Tale. I think it's a great performance. Um, I have another answer, but I want to hear from our guest first. This is a really hard opening for me because, as I've said, I only watch good movies. And I would object to that just given the movies you have watched for this podcast. Yeah, I think we have Have you forgotten the spirit of Christmas? We have dragged you down by being our guest. We watched movies she picked. She came up with like The Knight Before Christmas (laughs) and The Princess Switch. You also brought us A Christmas Kiss. Eight. That's, I, a, that's an excellent film. I, I have a, no regrets about Christmas Kiss, a movie I now own on DVD. I fundamentally really? disagree with your stance, Fiona. That I don't watch bad movies? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I don't think I've watched a bad animated movie in a really long time. That's because we do not force you to do as many DreamWorks as we have to watch. No. <laughs> yeah, you've only done this and Megamind with us, right? A hundred episodes yeah, ago? Yeah, 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 uh-huh. So all I can think of is that I really did not enjoy the movie Brother Bear, but I loved the voice of the little bear. I thought it was just a really cute little bear voice. 
I saw that movie once in theaters, and I've retained almost nothing. I just remember the bear going, I'm Coda, follow me. Is Phil Collins the singer of that? Yeah, I mean, the music is great, and it is all Phil Collins, but the movie itself, I did look up the voice actor, and his name is Jeremy Suarez. And he is known for Brother Bear. He's also in Jerry Maguire. Oh, great. And um, he's in pre-production for a movie called M.D. is for Mr. Dula. (laughs) That sounds tasteful. Uh Uh-huh. This sounds... (laughs) I I feel like as a society... On the one hand... On the one hand, I hate it, and on the other hand, I love it. <laughs> I He's agree. He's in Treasure Planet. He was in a Land Before Time movie. But I also feel we as a society should have moved past a movie concept that's just, what if a man did a woman job? Yeah. Mr. Mom, not a bad movie. Mr. Dula, I don't know if we need that. Mr. Mom was also 40 years ago. I, uh, I agree. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I do not, yeah, I agree is a weird way of phrasing that, but I can't think of a better way. I'm glad we both agree on how long ago 1980 was. (laughs) Was that really 1980? It's right around there. Oh, I thought, wow. I'm proud of myself for remembering that we covered Mr. Mom more than anything. Yeah, that was early in the run. So the other big voice performance that I wanted to address Um, We all know, of course, Robin Williams had some iconic voice performances, both as the genie in Aladdin and as Fern Gully. He was Fern Gully? Fern Gully. (laughs) I've never seen that movie. Neither have I. (laughs) I don't think he played the gully. (laughs) I thought thought he he plays like a bird or something. I think so. A bird named Fern Gully? I definitely thought Fern Gully was a character, but again, I have not seen this movie. Maybe the bird's name is Fern, and it's Fern's Gully. Okay. (laughs) My point in bringing up Robin Williams is that he actually had been hired to do a voice performance prior to those two movies, which came out in very close succession several years earlier. But normally in animation, you record the dialogue first, and then you animate the characters to sync up with the dialogue. But this was a movie where the character that Williams would be voicing, they had shot all of that footage ahead of time. And so then when Robin Williams was hired, he was asked to sync up his speaking with the character's already moving mouth. And Robin Williams got really frustrated with that because he's famous for his improvisation and he couldn't really do that. So he quit after three days. And that's when Chip Zine got the phone call that he now had the job to voice Howard the Duck instead of Robin Williams. Oh. Uh, uh, a throwback. I, I forgot about Duck Talk. I forgot about Duck Talk, and I also don't know if that counts as an animated movie, because the duck was real. Yeah, it's not an animated movie, but, you know, I thought it was important for our 200th episode to bring back the return of our most requested recurring segment, Duck Talk. Is it, though? I don't don't know if I've ever been present for Duck Talk. I've had multiple people ask me during long Duck Talk droughts what's happened to it. I guess the people want it. I guess the people want it. Our only movie with a negative score. 
which I stand <laughs> by. And of course, this year is 2021, which makes it the 35th anniversary of Howard the Duck. Oh my gosh. So the Hollywood Reporter did a very nice feature on it where they interviewed Leah Thompson and Chip Zine and Seth Green, who voices Howard the Duck these days, to just talk about the legacy of the movie and its bizarre production. Chip Zine told this great story about going to see it opening day and the theater basically being empty, except like some moms with little kids who were like, yeah, I'll take my kids to see the Duck movie. And then he was, like, going around the theater being like, hey, this movie is, like, really not for your small children. And they were just looking at him weirdly, like, who is this adult man here alone telling us to get our kids out of the duck movie? (laughs) I hope that duck boobs within the first five minutes was enough to tell them that they should bring their children to a different movie. Yeah. What's it rated? I guess it had an old rating. Yeah, it was PG. Okay. Back in the pre-PG-13 days. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, duck boobs didn't count as full frontal nudity. They were covered by feathers. (laughs) Yep, they were visible nipples. Yeah. (laughs) Visible Uh. nipples, and the rest of it is covered by feathers. That's... uh. The opposite of a pasty. (laughs) (laughs) Everything but. (laughs) Everything but. (laughs) Wow. It's been so long since we covered that movie. Yeah, it's been like four years. 199 episodes. So I actually, speaking of your 200th episode, I have some good news and I have some bad news about it being your 200th episode. And I'm wondering which you would like first. Um, bad news first. The bad news is that none of us live in Summit Hills anymore. And, is that bad news? And it means that we're all recording from separate locations. And that's bad news. Yeah, separate to be clear. undisclosed locations. We've never actually said this on the podcast. We all used to live in the same apartment complex. Yeah. So we would record together in person. And we haven't done that in a long time, mostly because of COVID. But now, I mean, we're not that far away from each other. And I did, I have driven to record the podcast in the past. Right. But now you are a little bit further because you're a real housewife of Potomac. Uh, yeah, I am. All accurate (laughs) statements. You are real. (laughs) You are a wife. You have a house, even if it's an apartment, and it's in Potomac. Yeah. What's your catchphrase? I'm still working on it. I've got to come up with that. I'm still working on it is not a terrible catchphrase. Oh, maybe I'll just go with that. Can you give us like a sassy spin on it? Uh, Not right now. You're catching me off guard, and I got to work on it, but I'm still working on it. It has to have a beginning sentence. I think the beginning sentence is different every time. Like, (laughs) like... Colin thinks I need to take out the trash, but I'm still working on it. Yeah, I agree. And then the next thing would be like, oh, I'm going to go do that errand, but I'm still working on it. My favorite one I've heard recently was there's a housewife in Beverly Hills who's obsessed with dogs. And her catchphrase one season is, I'm passionate about dogs, just not crazy about bitches. (laughs) Uh, I think about that line a lot. Supposedly, I'm becoming a dog person, but I'm still working on it. We'll have to have you on for, like, one of the dog movies. We'll do, like, a dog's purpose or something. We'll have to bring you and Colin on. Oh, that would be a great idea because he's all about dogs and I'm being... They could trade off every time the dog reincarnates. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh. All right. All right. Uh, So do you guys want to hear the good news? Yes. What is the good news? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Although I think, uh, given the bad news, it's really just more good news for me right now, but... A hundred episodes ago, I brought you guys a little treat, and today, I went and got another treat. Yay! It it clearly says 200 instead of 10D, 
this one actually <laughs> looks much that. better. Good job. Uh, I had this one professionally lettered. <laughs> now that I, you know, I'm in Potomac, I got access to quality, uh, quality, quality cookie, cookie decorating here. This is thrilling. Anyways, so I'll be enjoying some of that. Maybe I'll mail some to you guys. Yeah. I would love that. Okay, great. I would be very, very happy to receive a cookie cake in the mail. (laughs) I don't know. What do you think the postage is on shipping part of a cookie cake? Well, I assume you would have to like put it in a Tupperware and then in a box or something like that. So it's the shipping of a box. Okay. I feel like it would also be easier for me to just drive 30 minutes to pick it up. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, Wow. 200 episodes. What a ride. Yeah. It does not feel that long ago that we were sitting in Summit Hills eating a 10D cake. A cake so good it has 10 dimensions of flavor. (laughs) But we also (laughs) ate that one at like midnight because we were late starting. Fiona was at some like concert or something. What? So then she was late getting to the recording and we had to record 27 dresses first. So we recorded 27 dresses and then we were back and forth. We were like... Episode 100 is going to be a long one. Like, maybe we should just, like, go to bed and call, like, do it tomorrow or something like that. And then Fiona was like, well, I feel like we have to do it now because I have this cookie cake. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, right. For the record, I was not at a concert. I was at an alumni event where I got a backstage tour of Union Station. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then I had to take the Metro back. But I do remember it being late and long. Uh, all right. Should we get this show on the road? We have not started the episode yet. And we got plenty to talk about. Well, maybe not in terms of romance. <laughs> Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this, of course, is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if it's a main plot for one character, and there's a one scene that makes this movie weg-tent, and we cannot miss that. We'll dig in and see what's there. Wait, really? Oh yes, Katie, the like human girl who's trying to bang her boyfriend who's not as into it, is voiced by Renee Zellweger. Is she really? Yes, Renee Zellweger cameos in this movie. This is Wegtent. It will have the official Wegtent episode cover. Oh, thank God. Her boyfriend who doesn't want to bang her, John Krasinski. I did know that. That's such a 2009 joke of just making a girl aggressive and the boy timid. And ha 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 ha, so funny. But I do absolutely love Renee Zellweger. All right. Uh, It doesn't matter. You already said that part. Yeah, uh, this week we are taking a look once again at the films of DreamWorks Animation after a long hiatus. We are looking at one of their last genre parodies, which they did for a while in the late 2000s. 2009's Monsters vs. Aliens, directed by Conrad Vernon and Rob Letterman. A movie that was funnier than I expected but had the requisite absolutely god-awful, painful DreamWorks jokes that just dragged the whole thing. Here's the thing I'll say about Monsters vs. Aliens. It did not end with a dance number. It did not end with a dance number, and it did not drag. It is like 94 minutes, and I feel that there was not any wasted time as much as other 
DreamWorks movies. How many DreamWorks movies have ended with dance performances? Well, Shrek. definitely Shrek 1 and 2. Yeah. Shark I don't know Tale. about 3 and 4. I haven't seen them in ages. Shark Tale does. Madagascar oh. does. Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, of course. Does it? Ends with, yeah, it ends with a Cotton Eye Joe number. Um, <laughs> like the Hort? Are you making this up? <laughs> yes. You're making this up. Obviously. Oh my gosh. I'm like trying to picture a, a horse dancing the Cotton Eye Joe. And I'm like, I, I think I would have remembered that. <laughs> That's okay. their serious one. I will admit a bad movie that I've seen. And that was Spirit. But not a lot of voice performances in that movie. No, there's not. Well, you've got Matt Damon as the narrator, and, and that's mostly it. Okay. I can't believe you just made that up. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought this movie was, like, fine. It has some good comedy bits. Like, some of the characters have good games that they're playing. Like, everything with Bob is funny. Mm-hmm. I wish that Dr. Cockroach were funnier. Like, I think there is something there to him just openly being a mad scientist but it doesn't quite reach the chaotic pinky and the brain levels that it needs. Yeah, I yeah. think his character is the weakest of the monsters. I think Insectosaurus is the strongest. <laughs> because <laughs> I am not surprised that you liked Insectosaurus. Because he is very cute, and then whenever they lead him around by flying a giant light under a helicopter, I also found that <laughs> very amusing. We should mention that, like, all of the monsters in this movie are clearly based on classic movie monsters. Insectosaurus is Mothra, Bob is the Blob, Dr. Cockroach is the Fly, and the missing Link, Will Arnett's character, is the creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. I haven't seen most of those. This movie is very much aware of the history of monster movies. Yeah. And it is coming on the tail end of that wave of DreamWorks genre parodies, where you've got Shark Tale is the Mafia movie and Megamind is the superhero movie. They were doing this for a bit. Now, after this movie, Jeffrey Katzenberg made an announcement that they were no longer doing genre parodies because they didn't make enough money, and really the only one they would stick with is Kung Fu Panda. But Kung Fu Panda is also better than all those other movies by a pretty healthy margin. Yeah, uh, it's a noticeable improvement over the other ones. But also, you know, this is 2009. 2010 or 11 is How to Train Your Dragon. And we've talked about how that feels like a real turning point in DreamWorks away from effectively making animated studio comedies into more emotional storytelling. Right. And I feel like they've definitely had clunkers after How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, for sure. I mean, Turbo. Oh, oh my God. We have to watch Turbo. Is that the snail one? That is. It's the snail racing one. You don't need to Uh. invite me for that one. All right, so Fiona's volunteered to be on Turbo. <laughs> no. Okay, making a note of it. Uh, Fiona, what were your feelings about Monsters vs. Alien? I'm going to be honest. I think I had like such low expectations going in that I was just kind of like, all right, this is fine. I think that's kind of where I was too, where my expectations were just rock bottom. So when Seth Rogen actually was funny, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and when you first told us we were doing Monsters vs. Aliens, I was thinking of humans. Was it humans vs. aliens or cowboys vs. aliens? Cowboys vs. Like aliens. That's what I thought you were talking about. And then when you said DreamWorks, I realized it was a very different movie from what I was thinking. And then I was like, I don't know what this is. This is probably some weird deep cut DreamWorks, and I think it's going to be horrible. So I, I was honestly a little bit pleasantly surprised. 
I did like Bob a lot. He was very entertaining. It's a great performance. Yeah. I also had to look up if this came out before or after Despicable Me because the robots look suspiciously like minions. It was it was um, around the same yeah. time. It was right? one year before, so they actually did not rip off the minions for these giant robots. Yeah. Something in the air said bald with spike like individual spiky hair strands and one eye. And millions of them. So Monster vs. Aliens had its start in like an 80s horror comic book called Rex Havoc, which DreamWorks optioned in like 2002. And that's a comic about a monster hunter named Rex who uses a team of monsters to fight against other monsters. And that one includes uh, characters like Insectosaurus, uh, Dr. Cockroach, and a character that sounds very tasteful named the 50,000-pound woman. Oh. Oh. (laughs) So in like 2004, DreamWorks announced they were adapting Rex Havoc. By the time this movie came out, DreamWorks was saying like, yeah, like... Some character designs came from that, but we basically created a new story, Whole Cloth, written by ultimately five credited writers. And then the story credit went to the directors, Rob Letterman and Conrad Vernon. Vernon had co-directed Shrek 2 before this and went on to more animated stuff, Madagascar 3, Sausage Party, the animated Adams Family movies. And we already talked about Letterman, who had done Shark Tale and has moved on to live-action Jack Black movies and Detective Pikachu. What a career arc. I mean, it's not a bad... I mean, there are some hits in there. Goosebumps was a hit. Detective Pikachu. Was Goosebumps good, though? I mean, I didn't see it. Okay. I'm kind of surprised. Weren't you a Goosebumps kid? You strike me as a Goosebumps kid. No, I was an Animorphs kid. Goosebumps scared me. Goosebumps scared me, too. And the cover was so scary, I never read it. Yeah, me too. I, like, started it, and I was like, no, thank you. Yeah, they were actually frightening. I did not like that. But I was all in on Animorphs. Animorphs was great. I li- I just liked the covers. Of I Animorphs. love the covers. Any joke online with an Animorphs cover always makes me laugh. I have never read a single <laughs> Animorphs funny. book. Oh, no, I haven't either. The other big thing about Monsters vs. Aliens is that it was the first DreamWorks animation movie to be fully produced in stereoscopic 3D. Earlier ones, starting with Megamind, had been post-converted. And we talked about this a little bit 100 episodes ago when we talked about Megamind. Around that point, Jeffrey Katzenberg really bought in whole cloth. And this is, Katzenberg was the head of DreamWorks Animation on the idea that 3D was the future of filmmaking. And he was giving interviews where he was like, there have been two seismic shifts in the history of film. There was the introduction of sound And within like five years, there were basically no silent films. Everything was a talkie. And the second revolution is the introduction of color. And within like 10 years, black and white is rare and basically fades out. And Katzenberg was going around saying like, the third revolution is here and it is 3D. And we're getting in on the ground floor, making our movies in 3D. And before you know it, like every movie is going to be in 3D. Like domestic dramas are going to be in 3D. That's the thing that's going to be happening. They like invested in a bunch of technology Which, on the one hand, as a fan of, like, good 3D filmmaking, I like. On the other hand, Katzenberg also went around within the industry and said, we can charge people more for 3D movies, like, go all in, post-convert stuff, do it. And poorly post-converted 3D movies are what trained audiences to think that 3D was just a scam. Like nuts and bolts flying out at you. I mean, that can be done well, and it can be done deliberately. There is a little bit of it in this movie. The most egregious one is... At the very beginning of the movie, there's the, like, Watchmen playing with the paddle ball, and it shoots out 
at the audience. The big kiss where she's big and she tries to kiss Derek is another one where it was pretty clearly designed for 3D. But it's more so like if you've ever had the experience of going to see a movie in 3D in a theater and you feel like the movie is much darker than it should be and it's like kind of hard to see. You know what I'm talking about, Fiona? Um, I don't, I don't know if I've noticed it. Okay. That's a common side effect of when a movie is shot in 2D and then after the fact, they digitally adjust it to be in 3D. You lose some of the color. You lose some of the lighting in particular as it was originally shot. Whereas if you produce something in native 3D, you're shooting it on 3D cameras, the directors are making deliberate choices based on that. The cinematography, the lighting crew are making choices based on that. And you get not just a better looking image, but also they're going to be making choices about like depth of field and things like that to create a more fully realized 3D image. I just never got on board with 3D, personally. A great looking 3D movie is really incredible. And like, at this point, I'll go see something in 3D if there's like a compelling hook for it. I mean, Doctor Strange was a great looking 3D movie. I don't think I realized they were still doing 3D. I thought it was all IMAX now. Yes, it is more so. I mean, you see IMAX 3D a lot these days, but it's not around as much as it was because audiences were trained to think it was a scam by these cheaply done post-converted 3D movies, especially in the wake of Avatar. And Monsters vs. Aliens comes out in May of 2009. Avatar is that December. And of course, Avatar blows this thing out of the water where like, When Monsters vs. Aliens comes out, there are like 2,000 3D screens in the United States. Thanks to James Cameron pushing for it, there are like double that by December. People are seeing this thing in 3D. They're like, wow, this is immersive. It's really impressive. And then there's the one-two punch in the spring of 2010 of Clash of the Titans and Alice in Wonderland, both of which have crappy post-converted 3D stuff that immediately train audiences like, oh, wait, no, this is dumb. I thought Alice in Wonderland was just dark because it was Tim Burton. No, it is like I don't think muddy. that helps. If you see it in a 3D theater, it is like muddy in a way that it shouldn't be for an already ugly movie. Okay. Also, Clash of the Titans is just bad. Yeah, that didn't help. That did not help either. I watched it. I did not like it. I love 3D. I mean, I also saw Gemini Man in 60 frames per second in 3D, and I was like, this should be the future of filmmaking. So I accept that I am not exactly in touch with the mainstream. Well, you guys have proved me a liar because now I'm remembering that I did see Alice in Wonderland and it was a bad movie. Fiona, it was obvious that you were a liar. (laughs) We have been calling you out on your lies for years on this podcast. You are Fiona, the lady of lies, the dame of deception. Uh, You are the one who told us when we were growing up that the ice cream truck playing (laughs) for Elise was in fact Mozart's ghost. Beethoven's. Beethoven's ghost. At least she got the composer right. Yeah, please. The running thread of this podcast is Mark being surprised by references to Howard the Duck, and Fiona (laughs) is a liar. And Bora's a bully who likes crime. Yes, Bora's (laughs) pro-crime. Just, like, for the record of, like, how bad I thought that movie was, I fell asleep while watching it in the theaters, and my friend sitting next to me woke me up and said, do you want me to keep you awake? And I said, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I watched that movie on a bus in high school on some, like someone brought a DVD of it. And at the end, during the credits, that's a movie that ends with a dance number because it ends with Johnny Depp doing the flutter whacking. It does. 
fuck? So the credits start rolling, and then you can see the shadows of people standing up in the theater because it was <laughs> a recording of a screen at a movie oh theater. Uh, back in the days where half of the movies I watched were terrible, terrible pirated <laughs> versions. While well, you were in Singapore. Yep. So it goes. So I kept having this particular reaction watching Monsters vs. Aliens, Mark, because every once in a while there would be a shot that I thought was kind of interestingly done, and I kept being like, I wish they had done this movie practically. Like, if they had done Monsters vs. Aliens, like, made basically the same movie, live action with practical effects, I think I would be, like, secret masterpiece, maybe. (laughs) Because a lot of the shots where... Susan, Ginormica, is like really big and there are characters in front of her. It looks like a shot made using rear projection, like in an old movie where they would have, you know, shot the character Mm -hmm. and then projected that on a screen with someone in front. It's the kind of thing that could be done. Fiona, you and I watched The Blob and like that's a special effect that I really get a kick out of. Yeah. Uh, You know, obviously some parts of it would probably look silly to modern audiences, but I think it could be done and it would be kind of exciting. I do think some of the work they do to show the scale of Ginormica is well done. Even in scenes where she's alone, they do a pretty good job of making sure you remember that she is huge. Yeah. I think that the movie has a very good sense of scale and it's able to like use depth in some interesting ways. The problem is just, it is ugly to look at. Yeah. It is an ugly looking movie. It (laughs) looks like TV animation and it looks like TV animation looked like in like 2006. Yeah, it's not great. But you are right. Like if this movie looked better, the scene where the tower of the Golden Gate Bridge decapitates the giant robot. Cool. cool. Yeah. But the movie's just kind of trashy looking. It looks like ratatouing. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it looks like a (laughs) mockbuster. It just looks like a TV show. Yeah. I also don't like Reese Witherspoon as a voice actress that much. Yeah, I think she is, like, fine. But there are professional voice actors Yeah, who do this thing for a living. And to me, like, if you're going to bring in a famous person to do a performance, it's got to be good enough that I'm not like, why didn't you hire a professional voice actor? Like, Seth Rogen, I'm not mad he's in there. He's doing a great job. Right, like, Seth Rogen is brought on to do Seth Rogen. Will Arnett's brought on because he is Will Arnett. Reese Witherspoon. Also, at this point, I'm like, Will Arnett has one of the all-time great voice performances. Two of the all-time great voice performances. True. Batman? Lego Batman and Bojack Horseman. Oh, okay. But Reese Witherspoon is brought on because she's famous. Yeah. And, of course, that was DreamWorks at the time. And, like, less so now. But especially for that run from Shrek through, like, The Croods. They were just casting famous people. Like, even Jimmy Kimmel is credited as the voice of Insectosaurus. Right. I I couldn't believe how many names were in this movie. It's a ridiculous cast. It's such a waste of money. Like, they could have cast cheaper voice actors and then made the movie look better, and it would have been a better movie. Yeah. The movie did okay. It opened on March 27th, 2009. It ultimately grossed. $198 $198 million of the domestic box office, like, that's very impressive money. It made another 183 worldwide. But compared to what the big DreamWorks hits were doing, they're making, like, five, $600 million. And so where all these other DreamWorks movies get sequelized, Monsters vs. Aliens just got two TV specials. And so far, no musical adaptation. <laughs> Spoiler alert, William. We're not at that part yet. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about with this movie? 
Um, not really. I don't think so. This movie is also not really monsters versus aliens so much as monsters versus alien because the right. other things are robot. Well, I guess the clones, but it's really just one yeah. alien. Also, it's one alien cloned a bunch of times. While we were watching this, Nick asked, why are the aliens the bad guys? And my only thought was, because while the monsters are a subclass who are not treated with full equality, they are at least still Americans. <laughs> I did have the thought, like, this is a Suicide Squad movie. This is a movie about superpowered people who are imprisoned by the U.S. government, and they are offered their freedom, dangled as a carrot in front of them, if they engage in secret missions to take out the enemies of the United States. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It's a Suicide Squad movie. I do enjoy any time a piece of media acknowledges that it's weird that aliens land or monsters only attack in their country. Like, in this movie, they say, they landed in America, seemingly the only place aliens land. And then in Doctor Who, they occasionally reference how weird it is that aliens always somehow end up in the United Kingdom and nowhere else. I took that joke about aliens always landing in the u.s as a joke about like american ufo conspiracies because like belief in ufos being tied to aliens is really high in the united states and argentina and basically nowhere else right i mean that ties into it too but i feel like it's uh, it's a commentary on media as well i also think it's kind of funny because in movies it happens in tokyo a lot too yes and that's the legacy of kaiju movies right do you think there are monsters in other countries? What are other countries doing with their monsters, and how are they hiding the existence of them? I mean, I'm a comic book reader, so, like, you ask me that question, I'm like, of course other countries have monsters and are doing their own weird projects with them. I also think it's funny how successful the program is at hiding the existence of monsters when they don't do a lot of work at, like, they're not demonstrated to do a lot of work of convincing people that it's fake or erasing their memories like in men in black they just kind of yes hope i thought about men in black during this too don't believe in the monsters that they clearly witness my impression is that it has been entirely secret until this movie and like it's when the aliens show up that Kiefer sutherland is finally able to convince the president let's bust out the monsters and then once he's done that he's like we are now an active monster anti-terrorism team like we're gonna be around all the time we don't have to keep it a secret anymore. W.R. Monger is a great name for his character. Yes, yeah. His first name is Warren. He's Warren, Warren Monger. R. Monger. Yeah. <laughs> there is a certain, like, late Bush era sensibility to this movie. I mean, even just the simple fact of, like, they went to the effort to put American flag bunting on the platform that the president goes up to to talk to the alien robot. Like, just that particular sense of, like, jingoist patriotism. Unfortunately, Stephen Colbert's performance was my least favorite. Yeah. He's not very good in this. I was, like, kind of excited when I saw his name, and then I it really didn't do much for me. I mean, this is, like, casting Stephen Colbert as the president is a very 2009 move, because, of course, in 2008, on the Colbert Report, he mounted a, like, joke presidential campaign. That was a running thing, and also somehow became a running thing in Marvel Comics, where people would regularly be wearing posters and holding signs for him. But... Yeah, this character feels like it is supposed to be the character Stephen Colbert from The Colbert Report, but written by worse writers. Right. It's just not good. It's just not good. That's all I really have to say about it. 
I was struck by the way that uh, his giant button to deliver latte to him is literally a thing that Donald Trump had in the Oval Office for Diet Coke. It is true. I mean, that's one thing I can get behind. <laughs> a Diet Coke button? Easy access to Diet Coke. Well, I know a guy in Mar-a-Lago who might be interested in hanging out with you for that. Uh, not worth it. He has, I'm told, nothing to do. <laughs> I did think it was kind of funny that W.R. Monger orders a extra hot frappuccino at the end. I don't know if you picked up on that. That was during the stinger in the credits. There was a stinger in the credits? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't think I saw that. <laughs> yeah, you were looking very confused. I'm surprised. Did you turn it off right as the credits started? No, I let all the credits roll, but I guess I wasn't paying attention. No. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, should we start talking about the romance in this movie? Yeah, we probably should. So every week we break down the romantic plot line of a movie into five points to guide discussion. Fiona, will you take us to our 500th first... Woo! Excuse me, I jumped ahead. Will you take us to our 200th first point? Sure. Well, uh, you know, of course, we'll start with point zero. Are you kidding me? No. I really, I really, really wanted to, and I could not get enough for a point zero. See, this is where I don't understand you, because the Renee Zellweger romance is not on this list of five points. Yeah, you're right. Well, I, I didn't really realize that it was Renee Zellweger and that this would fall under your Weg Tent category, so unfortunately. Wait, I just realized... DreamWorks also has a special cover art for our podcast. So I'm going to have to do some kind of DreamWorks Wegtent hybrid for the cover art of our 200th episode, which does feel appropriate. It's happened multiple times. She's in multiple DreamWorks movies. Yeah, but we covered those before I did the special cover arts. Ah, okay. That makes sense. Well, I can't wait to see what you come up with. It does feel like an appropriate celebration for our 200th episode to celebrate both Wegtent and DreamWorks. I think yeah. so. I'm very, I'm very tickled. All right, Fiona. Yeah. What is point one? All right. So point one is, of course, I gave it a name. They're getting married in the morning. I don't know when the wedding is. I think maybe it's in the evening, but whatever. Wow, you look beautiful. <sighs> so do you. I mean, handsome. <laughs> I mean... Sorry, I'm just a little frazzled. I just spent way too much time with our parents. Don't worry, okay? We'll be alone soon. Just us. So, uh, at the very beginning of the movie, we find out that Susan, our main our main gal, played by Reese Witherspoon, uh, it is her wedding day, and she is getting married to the weatherman, and his name is Derek. She turns on the TV in the morning, and he's on air, and he gives her a shout-out and does a little hand heart for her. Yeah, he talks about the weather, and he says... The weather's going to be great for getting married. Yeah. Derek Deedle, played by Paul Rudd. I didn't think Derek was that good looking as far as cartoons go. No, they clearly did not spend a lot of time on him because he's not in a lot of the movie. Yeah. I do like, possibly because his model didn't get as much attention, he moves very strangely. Oh. It's almost like one half, like the top or bottom of half of his body will move before the other half. It makes him look kind of unsettling, which I really enjoyed, actually, because yeah. it just made him kind of strange. Like, he's a fascinating character to watch. I noticed that, too, that there was just something off about him. Yeah, he he's not great. I got a kick out of it. So not only are they getting married, but they're really excited. She gets to go to Paris for her honeymoon. And just moments before the wedding, Derek actually finds Susan outside the chapel and he tells her that he's got a big surprise. They're no longer going to Paris and instead they're going to go to Fresno because he's got a job audition there. 
And she seems fairly supportive of this. She seemed way more unfazed by it than I would have been. She yeah. was sad, but she was also excited for him. Yeah. Which was weird. Because she very much saw them, and he framed it as like, we are a team. This is a move for both of us. It's exciting for both of us. I just don't think I would be as nice as she was. Well, we can account for that in our believability score. Oh, true, true. Um, okay, so that's what I have for point one. Okay, but then she goes off to like feel her feelings about this, and she is hit by a meteor that yep. is glowing green. This is part of point two. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then take us away. So point two is the change of plans. Thank you. <laughs> no, no, Susan, you're like really glowing. You're green. Derek runs back inside the chapel and Susan is still out there and she gets hit by a meteor, which like, frankly, should have killed her, I think, uh, in any normal world. And she kind of bounces right back up. She's bruised and dirty, but other than that, she's fine. And then suddenly in the middle of the wedding, she starts to glow green and grows into a giant, destroying the chapel with as she grows and breaks through it. So then the army, they all show up because they kind of, they knew that something was approaching the earth and they kind of knock her down. They tie her up, they tranquilize her and they take her over to their base where she finds out that's that's her new home. She's got to stay there with the monsters, but really she wants to get out so she can reunite with Derek and find out how to shrink her back to normal. Right. Of course, we've mentioned all the monsters. There's Hugh Laurie as Dr. Cockroach, the great Seth Rogen as Bob, Jimmy Kimmel apparently as the Insectosaurus, and Will Arnett as the missing link, who spends most of his time pretending to work out. (laughs) Uh, I think it's worth noting that Bob was created by injecting a tomato with a ranch-flavored dessert powder. And that somehow it gained sentience and mutated into a talking blob. I like that, you know, here's another romantic angle Fiona hasn't included in her points. Susan spends so much time talking about how she wants to get out of there. She wants to get back to Derek that Bob starts to internalize it. And Bob is like, yeah, I want to get back to Derek too. And Bob decides that he and Derek have been together and he deserves a shot. And, and he, he and Derek kind of have a roller coaster relationship. Yeah, he spends a decent chunk of the movie going for that, but Bob is also tempted by a nice jello that he sees. Oh, true. That is true. A jello that gives him a fake number. Yes. <laughs> I was really upset because when when her mom comes outside to, to find her before the wedding, because they can't find the bride, and she shows up and she is covered in dirt, she's bruised, and I think her dress is ripped, and her mom just says, oh, I've got some wet ones that'll do it all. I'm sorry, wet ones are not going to solve what has happened to her. I think maybe the mom is just being supportive after this horrible thing has happened right before her wedding. Uh, Maybe, but like, I wanted her to look a little bit disheveled at the wedding. It was really good luck that she wore a spandex wedding dress. (laughs) Yes. It was very lucky that she decided to wear the world's stretchiest material on her wedding day. Look, a lot of that dress tore off, just not anywhere that would have affected the ability to show this movie to children. Yeah, and they, although I did notice they made a point to show her garter and it like snapped off and hit someone in the face. You know, our favorite part of weddings. Yeah, we've discussed that. So what happens next, Fiona? All right, so my, uh, I'm on to point three now. So this one I have called Reunited and it feels so good with a question mark. Ooh. Look. 
I know this is a little weird. Okay, <laughs> it's a lot weird, but we'll figure it out. I know that together we can find a way to get me back to normal. Susan, try and look at this from my perspective. I have an audience that depends on me for news, weather, sports, and heartwarming fluff pieces. So you expect me to put all that on hold while you try to undo this thing that happened to you? So as we know, uh, Susan, well, she's now, she now is referred to as uh, Ginormica. That's her government-issued monster name. Yes. So she's spent all this time. She can't wait to get out of there. She's got to find a way to escape. She needs to find Derek. She needs to reunite with him so they can work together to shrink her back. And they find out that the monsters are actually going to get an opportunity to get out if they can stop this alien invasion in San Francisco. So they're all released and they have a long, it's a pretty long sort of battle scene where she's like rollerblading on cars. She's got a car on each foot and like skating down the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, It's kind of fun. Yeah, I I kind of enjoyed that. So they do, they stop the attack. Uh, although they do destroy the bridge and some of the city in the process. And at that point, they get to go home and Susan's parents are having a welcome home party. Everyone's really excited to see her. I gotta say, I was astonished that they actually got to go home because I assumed that would not be the case. Yeah. Like, I thought it was going to be a bait and switch and they were still stuck with oh, the government. Yeah. I mean, at this point, though, they were held because they were a secret. They're no longer a secret anymore. That's true. Will, you think a character named W.R. Monger might not be trustworthy? (laughs) Uh, Look, I just, I think it's possible. But all her monster friends, they get to go to the party too. Bob, like, eats the mother and then spits her back out. And the one noticeable thing, though, is that Derek is not at the party. And uh, we find out he did get that job in Fresno. So Susan goes to, to find him at the studio. So she finds him. She brings him outside. And... She's really excited. She's like, okay, I'm here. You're here. We're going to do this. We'll work it out. We'll work together. We won't quit until I am back to normal. And Derek... He seems kind of disgusted with her. Yeah. Derek, he's embarrassed that she even shows up. He doesn't want to talk to her. And he basically tells her that he doesn't want to have anything to do with her anymore. And it was very selfish of her to be hit by this meteor and turned into a 50-foot woman. Yeah. Yeah, because this is where he makes it clear, like, he did not see them as a team. He saw her as, like, an appendage to his greatness as a weatherman. In their previous life. Yes. Yeah. And now, basically, he told her he did not want to live in her shadow. Literally. Yeah. Mark, you remember when we watched Attack of the 50-Foot Cheerleader, right? Oh, of course. How could I forget the time we accidentally watched softcore porn together? It was strange that that movie didn't have sex in it. It was weird. That movie was the exact wrong level of porn. And to be clear, it wasn't. But yes, we watched this movie that had a funny title and we were, it was the two of us in college and we were just sitting on my couch watching this movie as it kept inching closer and closer to being porn, but never going over that line. And so that made it more uncomfortable because every scene we're like, is this about to turn? Yeah, the whole movie, we were just on edge that it would turn at any moment. And it never did. It never did. It was quite weird. You know what? There there was at least one, like, mostly clothed sex scene. Because I just remember the shots, the, like, reverse shots of two actors who were clearly in different rooms. Right. <laughs> and also, I feel like she was wearing her skirt, but her boobs were out. The weirdest way to have sex. That's possible. That might be true. Anyway, back to this anyway. children's movie. All right. Are we ready for point four? 
Sure. Yes. Yeah, like, the romance matters for Susan, but it is very small scenes. Yeah. So there's not a lot for us to go on. No, it's really um, not. Somewhere in here, our gal Renee is on a date with John Krasinski. Don't rush me, Katie. I'm just not ready. Oh, relax, Cuthbert. It's just like dancing. I'll leave. Ah! Katie, I have a gymnastics meet tomorrow, so maybe... Uh, uh, did you open this half? They're in a car. She really wants to have sex. He's not so sure. He has a gymnastics meet in the morning. Right. Oh, yeah. And then they see some, like, alien stuff coming down. They go out to look. John Krasinski gets hurt, so she has to carry him. It's all these gender norm reversals, and it's very funny. And then she says, worst date ever. And she seemed uh, really sad about it. She also has to carry this large man for a significant yeah. time after he yeah. breaks his ankle. Guess he's not going to that gymnastics meet. Point four. All right, so point four, I call reunited again. So at this point, Susan and Derek, they are not together. And she's kind of realizing that he didn't really, like, he liked her enough, but he didn't really see them. Like, Will, Will like you said, they're not really a team. So she she finds the monsters, her friends again, and she's like, you guys are really, you guys are true friends. You're what I need. Uh, and while they're standing there talking... The aliens use their little light beam and start to pull Susan up towards their ship. Right, because Galaxar, the alien, wants the cosmic goop Quantonio. that turned her into a giant. Right. So he wants to extract it from her. Right, so that's that's what was in the meteor. That's what made her grow and gave her strength. And he thinks that she stole it from him. So he does the extraction. She shrinks back to her normal size. She loses her strength. Uh, and then he starts to inject it into himself and also his robot clones. And then, you know, we have the whole big action sequence. The monsters come. They help save the Earth. Susan defeats Galaxar, gets to become Ginormica again, and the spaceship blows up. Yeah, and and everyone kind of sees that happen. And they're all so thrilled because they were told by Galaxar that he was going to kill all of them and anyone who survived was going to be a slave. So all the humans were pretty excited that this gang of monsters destroyed the ship and the aliens. They saved the day. They did. They really did. Also, there wasn't as much collateral damage this time. Yeah, that's true. Just the ship got destroyed and uh, an insecto was uh, not actually dead. He just became a butterfly and saved them from falling too. And then, so in the midst of all the celebration... Derek runs over and he kind of says he was wrong. Baby, I thought long and hard about what happened between us. And I want you to know, I forgive you. You forgive me? Of course. It wasn't your fault you got hit by a meteor and ruined everything. And you know what? I say maybe you didn't ruin everything. I just got a call from New York. They offered me network. All I have to do is get an exclusive interview from you. He wants to give it a try. He wants to get back together. They can be together. They can figure it out, whether she's big or they can help make her shrink. And he also would like to get an interview with her because that'll help him get a job in New York. So that is my end of point four. And point five, I just call the flick. <laughs> and like, you mean the play by Annie Baker? Uh-huh, yep, that, that's of course, yeah. So, and this is when, when after Derek kind of tries to profess his love again and try to get back with Susan, she's... Now that she's a hero. Now she's, you know, she's a hero. She, she's, you know, saved the world. 
Now that being connected to her could potentially advance his career. Right. She verifies that all of his fans are watching live while he's there, and she picks him up and flicks him into the air, and they're done for good. She flicks him a pretty dangerous amount. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a scene where she picks him up and starts, like, crushing his windpipe. I think that's when she finds him in Fresno. Yeah. But that was an accident. This I think that's her not realizing her strength. Yeah, this this flick may have killed him. The flick she knew. I like when Bob, the Seth Rogen blob, goes to talk to Derek. Derek, you are a selfish jerk. And guess what? I've met someone else. She's lime green. She has 14 little chunks of pineapple inside of her. And she is everything I deserve in life. I'm happy now, Derek, without you. It's over. Tells him that he has found someone else. Meaning the Jello that he talked yes. to, and then he's stunned to discover that Susan was also seeing Derek. Oh yeah, that was great. That I loved that whole little storyline. All right, team. After watching this saga unfold, do you find the romance believable? Yes, because she dumped him, and he was garbage. <laughs> so that part's believable. The unbelievable part to me is that they would be together in the first place. Because he's not nearly attractive enough to, uh, like, justify how poorly he treats her. Because he's not great, even at the wedding. But I feel like there are real relationships like that. That's the thing. Like, it hasn't been that long, as we record, since the end of The White Lotus. So, yeah, I I have the Jake Lacey-Alexander Denario relationship in my head. And, like, I could see this kind of, like, go-getter scumbag who fakes being on a team enough that this woman is like, yeah, sure, like, that that's cool, we're on a team. And then she realizes that he actually doesn't really care about her beyond what she can do for him. Yeah, that's true. So, Fiona, you know, for the past 199 episodes, we've rated movies on a 10-point scale, where zero means we believe none of it, and 10 means we believe all of it. Where would you rate the romance of Monsters vs. Aliens? I think I'm going to give it, like, maybe an eight. What were you thinking, Will? I don't know. Over the course of this episode, I have been talking myself higher and higher. I'm leaning towards an eight or a nine, honestly. Probably an eight, though. It's hard to judge it because there's not a ton of the romance happening. But yeah. Yeah, I I mean, Derek's not there for a whole lot of the movie. But maybe that's part of it. He's not out there trying to find her. (laughs) And so it's right for her to dump him. You're, like, talking me... Maybe two it's nine a on this 10. Movie. I is think it a I'm 10? a nine. It's not a 10. I, no, it's not a 10. I, I believe every Derek is it. too weird looking for me. Oh, all right, sure. Yeah. Because of that nine. If they just paid more money to animate Derek better, it probably would have been a 10. Do you think any of our romantic leads is dateable? You have Derek, you have Susan, and you have Bob. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want Bob to be happy. But I don't think I can date someone who is that dumb. No. Yeah, he I could probably not. forget that you were dating him. Yeah. Derek is a no. He's terrible. He's no. You know, the more we've talked about this movie, the more I'm like, maybe I really liked this. But I just think I don't really know who Susan is. And that's my ultimate problem. Yeah. Susan is also pretty empty because her only motivation is a man. Right. Like, I don't know what she wants. I don't know who she is. Right. Like, does she have a job? We don't know. She is, like, generically cool in, like, the most generic girl boss way. But 
there's not really anything there. And that, I think, is the thing that most keeps me from saying, like, yes, I like this movie. All right. If you did have to choose one person in this movie to date, who would you pick? I mean, I would I would probably pick Bob. <laughs> that was mine, too. Maybe Susan's mom. The fact that she, okay. she doesn't panic about her daughter looking messed up on a wedding day instead tries to just keep calm and solve the problem. I think level headed one's comment a little too uh, literally. You took it very you took it differently than the two of us, I think. Yeah, I sat yeah. there, I was like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone say. I assume she was just trying to keep calm and not freak her daughter out. Okay. Uh her mom is played by Julie White, who is probably best known to people as Shia LaBeouf's mom in the Transformers movies. Oh. Fiona, who would you pick? Yeah, I think Bob is my choice as well. None of these couples are together at the end of the movie, so none will stay together. Well, Bob and the Jello. Yeah, we don't know. They might still be in there. I don't think they are going to stay together because I think the Jello is going to be eaten. Oh, well, that was my next yes. question. Does he eat the Jello? Oh, does Bob eat the Jello? That is also possible. Oh, that's what I assumed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's possible the Jello has been eaten by the end of the movie. Oh, like at the party? No, because yeah. he was holding it. Oh, okay. I don't he think holds he holds it when he says, Derek, I've it left you for someone. All right. Well, you know, I mean, even if he has some trouble, I'm sure that one day Bob will find love again. You know, as they say, when you're out of luck, always go duck. Did you just send us a link? Oh, God. I was worried someone had hacked. Oh. Uh, ew. I was worried someone had hacked into our Skype chat for a second because the <laughs> link is so weird. Uh, can you tell us what you're looking at, Mark? It is the current day uh, Howard the Duck holding a fancy green martini from the TV show What If? And not the TV show What If? <laughs> right. Um, in episode two of the Marvel What If? show on Disney+, Plus. Seth Green's Howard the Duck returned wearing a nice brown suit, drinking goopy martinis to act alongside Chadwick Boseman in his final performance. Because when you're out of luck, you always go duck. This is an official graphic from Marvel's social media pages. It's our 200th episode, Mark, so I thought you needed two installments of Duck Talk. It's so rude. Uh, anyway, this movie should not be made into a musical. I agree. I think it would be hard to do well with all the different monsters. I mean, you could do some of it with puppets, but I think it's probably not worth the effort. Yeah. All right. I think we have we have battled the aliens, made friends with the monsters, and we can put this movie to rest. All right. Now, this being our 200th episode, every 100 episodes, I provide an update on our investigation. Because, of course, the purpose of this podcast is to provide an official quantitative answer to the question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense on a 10-point scale? So, Mark, I have run the numbers. And based on all of the movies we have covered, which actually is more than 200 because we do our Oscars extravaganzas every year. And we did our one double feature episode. We did do our one double feature episode. We should mention, at this point, there is, like, almost a 10-movie discrepancy between you and I in terms of the number of movies we've rated because I have consistently watched all the Best Picture nominees and you have not. Yep, I got close one year and then my morals got in the way. Yeah, and then you went to the UK and, and then there was a pandemic. <laughs> yes. All right, so at this point, Mark, according to you, 
Hollywood romance is 5.4 believable. You know, I stand by that. More believable than not. But only slightly. But not much. Yeah, um, I am 5.6. Oh, you love love more than me, maybe. You know, I do love love. Now, Fiona, you have been on 22 episodes of this podcast. Ooh, all right. Oh, my God. So, at this point, out of those 22 episodes, you believe in Hollywood romance 4.7. And we know why. That's because we always watch these movies, and you guys don't like them, so then I undercut my rating. Right, I thought we needed to acknowledge this. So last time we did this, 100 episodes ago, you had a 5.2 average. Now, we've done 12 movies with you since then, but also on our My Best Friend's Wedding episode, you revealed that you have been lying about your ratings. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a lie. You have been deliberately, yes, you're a liar, (laughs) and you have been deliberately lying to us about the believability that you feel is true because you don't want us to make fun of you. I want to seem intelligent to the listeners. You're supposed to be honest because this is for science. You're falsifying data. I will say, Christmas movies, not our most believable movies, and those That's make up true. a decent amount of Fiona's appearances. That is true. Well, this this one should uh, help my average a little bit. I mean, not much, but... I've already included it. Oh. So, as of now, your believability score is 4.7. Okay. For those same 22 movies, mine is 4.4, and Mark's is 4.3. Oh, so I'm not even, like, off from you guys. I'm apparently the most critical. Yes, you are. Especially, I mean, you got to factor in, in the early years, you were much more critical. You and I have kind of synced up some in the last year. I also did put in one negative. Yes, which is included in our total averages, but not in the ones for Fiona episodes. Right. All right, I want to do one other thing in the spirit of this while we're all here together. You know, we've been doing this quantitative adventure together. And over the course of the last 200 episodes, not counting Oscars extravaganzas, where we've often given softballs to movies based on true stories. So in proper episodes dedicated to one movie, 11 movies have gotten a score of 10 from one of the three of us. Okay. So what we're going to do is we are going to see if the two of you can identify those 11 movies. There is one movie on the list that only Fiona gave a 10 to. (laughs) It is the only movie on this list from the first year of the podcast. Is it The Princess Diaries? It is not The Princess Diaries. I'm almost... It wasn't High School Musical 2, was it? It is not High School Musical 2. Is it High School Musical 1? It is High School Musical (laughs) 1. Fiona. We've done done both? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was going to say the first one, but then I thought we had only done the second. Okay, it is the first. Yeah, it makes sense. It's very (laughs) high school. (laughs) Fiona gave a 10 out of 10 to High School Musical. It was the first 10 out of 10 on a main (laughs) episode of this podcast. On ever any episodes? I believe so, yes. Oh my gosh. What'd you guys rate it? I think eight. Okay. Yeah. Eight sounds right. I think that is what triggered me to start undercutting my ratings. Look, and you're still laughing at me. Yeah, why do you think that is ridiculous? Why are you embarrassed about this? This doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Fiona. I just want to seem smart. All right, so Mark, there are 10 episodes where you or I or both of us gave a 10 out of 10. Fiona is on one of those 10. Actually, no, wait, there's another one that's just Fiona. (laughs) (laughs) Episode 124, Fiona gave a 10 out of 10. Um... Um... Is it a Christmas movie? I can give hints if people want them. Yeah, is that one a Christmas movie? It's not my best friend's wedding, is it? It is not. 
We gave my best friend's wedding like threes. Yeah, even you were not on board the believability. Yeah, okay. This is a wedding movie, though. Um, and it was also a pandemic. 27. Wedding? Fiona? My big fat Greek wedding. My big fat Greek wedding. Fiona gave a 10. Mark and I gave an 8. All right. I remember we gave a 10 to The Shining. No, we did not give a 10 to The Shining because we said it's not believable that someone would marry the Jack Nicholson of The Shining. True. Okay. We were very high on We gave that The one. Shining a 9. Hmm. What if we gave a 10 to? So, Mark, the first movie that you and I gave a 10 to was episode 78 in the summer of 2018. Can I have a hint? It is one of the only sports movies we've done on this podcast. Um, A League of Their Own? A League of Their Own. We gave a 10 out of 10 to. Wow. Because it's nice when Marla gets married. It is nice when Marley gets buried. Uh, next up, episode 89, towards the end of that summer of 2018. We did have a guest on this episode who also gave it a 10 out of 10. This movie is a love triangle hmm. from the 1980s. Um, it's not Can't Buy Me Love. It is not. Love triangle. That's like episode three. I know. From the 1980s. What 80s movies have we covered? I mean, it's a Best so Picture many. nominee. Can I have a hint? Yeah. Um, we saw this movie in a theater. Oh, so we would have had to see... Oh, Broadcast News. Yes, Broadcast News. Great movie. A-plus Great film. Movie. Um, episode 93, only I gave a 10 out of 10 to. Oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, it's the only movie that I gave a 10 to that no one else did. Was there a guest on that one? There was. Who was the guest? Your lover. Ah. Uh, is it Chicago? It is not Chicago. Is it Easy A? No. Uh, it is not Chicago, but it is a musical. Oh. Which other musicals did we do with Nick? Um, I was going to say uh, Last Holiday, but I can't imagine you giving that a 10 out of 10. And Nick not no, giving a 10 out of 10. No, but that should be a musical. Um, when did we cover it? Um, fall of 2018. Okay. Like, probably September. Um, okay. It is written and directed by the writer-director of one of my favorite movie musicals. Hmm. Assassins isn't a movie musical. <laughs> Alas, it is not. <laughs> um, it would never work. What year did the movie come out? Or era, at least. Um, uh, 2013, 2014. My God. How am I blanking so hard on this? I thought I knew all the episodes Nick was on. It stars our finest shouter of, they knew! They knew? Like, who's an actor who always finds a way to say, they knew, in a movie? That, I don't know what you're talking about. Mark Ruffalo always does oh, that. Oh, it's um, song and dance, music and lyrics, singing and dancing. I cannot, for the life of me, remember the name of this movie. So what's funny is the movie is called Begin Again. Begin Again. Okay. But when you started saying song, I was like, is Mark going to pull the, like, Tiff title that this thing, like, terrible title that this movie premiered with, which was, can a song save your life? <laughs> oh, God. I think I was thinking of Sing Street, and then there is a movie called Music and Lyrics. Yes. And then I also just cannot remember the name of that movie. Okay. Um, next up, we have a gap of 30 weeks before our next 10 out of 10 from both of us. Uh, this is episode 123. It's one of our first pandemic recordings or pandemic era recordings. And 
it is also the first time that we recorded an episode to tie in with a new release that then didn't come out because of the pandemic. So it wasn't Peter Rabbit. I would just like to put on the record, by the way, I did not see Peter Rabbit the Runaway in theaters because Mark <laughs> refused to go with me. I am glad I made that choice for both of us. Is it uh, the first one I remember recording is Singing in the Rain was not the first. That was that later. Was later. This is like March 2020. Yes. Can I have a hint? When did the movie come out? So the the one that we recorded on or yes. the sequel that we were tra- tying into? The into? one that we... Oh, was it um, A Quiet Place? Yes, A Quiet Place. Woo! We then had uh, the next week, 124, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Just Fiona gave a 10 out of 10. And then uh, episode 127. We were kind of on a roll here. In the early pandemic, we threw up our hands and said, whatever, <laughs> we, we believe said, it all. We said, everyone deserves some joy at this point. Nothing is unbelievable anymore. Uh, episode 127, we gave a 10 out of 10. It is not a particularly joyful romance because the romantic leads both die. Um, are the romantic leads the main characters? They are. They're the titular characters. Oh, so it's not Titanic, unless you consider both halves of the boat <laughs> the romantic leads. Yes, the classic lovers, Tita and Nick. <laughs> not unbelievable names. I have a coworker yeah. named Tita, T-I-T-A, and there, there are Tita people and named Nick, and I see um, a movie where the titular characters both die, and it's a sad movie. I mean, I think it's a pretty fun movie, but the ending is kind of sad. I don't imagine we gave Death Becomes Her a 10. <laughs> we did not give Death Becomes Her a 10 out of 10. Um, can I get a hint? Yeah, this episode is part of a project that we did last spring that actually Fiona participated in the project. Oh, the is it watching all of the 1969 Best Picture winners? 1967, yes. Because Fiona, of course, watched Dr. Doolittle with us. Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, Bonnie and Clyde. Fiona, you got any quick thoughts on Dr. Doolittle? Mm, that was a long movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly the problem. I just had a flashback to the seal. The seal. The seal is... That he had an affair saying, with. These are other voice performances we could have considered. Some of those animals talk. None of them are good. Um, okay, the next one is actually another one featuring Nick. Episode 150. So 50 episodes ago. Uh, you and I gave a 10 out of 10. Is it a fantastic woman? It is a fantastic woman. We didn't have another one in 2020, but we kicked off 2021 early with a 10 out of 10 on episode 164. Oh, God. It's really embarrassing that I can't remember this one. This is the new gold standard of a 10 out of 10 movie. Oh, no. Can I have a hint? Yeah. um, A big question is whether this romance involves two characters, three characters, or four characters, and if four, one of those characters is not human. <laughs> um, what? What movie is this? The character is not human, but does have a very human name, Amy. Amy. Um, the sounds. Oh God, what is it? Uh, uh, uh Amy is a uh, not a dinosaur. Or... The movie is based on a it's novel. Congo, which <laughs> I read Congo. for this episode. <laughs> Oh my god. Congo. <laughs> Frank Marshall's Congo. God. 10 out of 10. <laughs> we did that, folks. Um, all right, we got two more. Episode 186, you and I and our guest gave a 10 out of 10 to this classic 2006 musical. Classic 2006 musical that's not High School Musical. 
Correct, but that is also 2006. Well done. Uh, yeah, somehow that stuck in my head. Um, but you couldn't remember Congo. But I couldn't remember Congo. The things that I can remember versus the things I immediately forget is shockingly difficult to keep track of or make sense of. Um, a lot of people thought this movie would be a Best Picture nominee, but it was not. A musical from 2006. So it's not Dracula 2000. That movie should be a musical. Um, we had a guest. We did. Early, uh, Dream Girls. Dream Girls. Yes, Dream Girls. Um, and then finally, episode 188, you and I both gave a 10 out of 10 to a movie that you perhaps felt I should have warned you about. Um, uh, uh, did, did, did. Bark the dog barking. Why can I not remember the title of this movie? It was not that long ago. Yeah, the movie's called Barking Dogs Never Bark- Bite. Yeah, okay. I was getting there. Uh, yes, you should have warned me about that film. I stand by that. I did not care to watch a dog punted off a building, personally. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, uh the problem was it was kind of funny. <laughs> anyway. Well, there we, we go, Mark. It. We've done 200. We've done 200 episodes, and we have watched... It's crazy to think about the number of movies you have watched. Not just... What, me? You specifically, but also just the average person. Like, I don't feel like I watch more movies than a normal because of this, and yet over four years I have watched, like, almost 250 movies, probably. You have watched more than that over the last... I mean, for I this mean, podcast, for this podcast alone. So just imagine how many yeah. more movies besides that I've watched. Yeah, I find it helpful to remind myself all the time that the average American sees three movies in theaters a year. That's that's pre-pandemic, of course. So I usually beat that in a month. <laughs> so I regularly remind myself that I am not normal when it comes to watching movies. That is fair. I mean, I've doubled that in a week. R.I.P. Movie right. Pass. Oh, the best. the best thing ever. It is funny that that is the last time all of America was happy on something. <laughs> but, you know, theaters are open. You know, A-list exists. Regal has a pretty good alternative. Like, if you are vaccinated, go to the movies, see something. There's a lot of good stuff coming out. There's a lot of stuff I'm excited about this fall. I'm very excited. Even ones we haven't talked about. Like, you know, Joe Wright, Fiona, director of Pride and Prejudice, is doing a Cyrano de Bergerac adaptation starring Peter Dinklage. Oh, that sounds fun. Right? Dune, of course. We got Dune. We got Last Night in Soho. You know, Mark, probably our most anticipated movie, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley. Oh my god. About the the evil circus of Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper. I couldn't imagine a better evil circus. Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, West Side Story. Like, we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming. Go to the movies. See things in a theater. It's the best. That's how these things are meant to be watched. You know, even Monsters vs. Aliens was meant to be watched on a gigantic screen in 3D. That's why when the movie was rolling out its marketing campaign, they had Sobe water stands in grocery stores that were stocked with 3D glasses. So when you bought a bottle of Sobe, you got some 3D glasses. So when there was a trailer for Monsters vs. Aliens during the Super Bowl in 3D, you could watch it at home on your 3D glasses and see what that movie would look like. That's what these things are meant to be seen like. Go see a movie in theaters. And make sure you have your Sobe Life Water branded 3D glasses with you. Yeah. Uh, All right. What an episode. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad we did this. Fiona, thanks for coming back to do DreamWorks with us for another centenary episode. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Next week, we are covering a... uh, What is this? This is 
not the one where step-siblings have sex. Cruel intentions. This is the one set in <laughs> Ancien Regime France, I believe. Yeah, we're watching Dangerous Liaisons. I always get this and Cruel Intentions confused in my head, and I almost start describing Cruel Intentions every time. Well, then we should watch both of them so you can clear it up. That would probably be helpful. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, Fiona. It's been a while since we've talked about it, but what is the best piece of dating advice we got from Monsters vs. Aliens? Do not agree to marry someone who will cancel your honeymoon on the day of the wedding. All right. I guess that is advice we got from the movie. Well, we did. Yeah. I'm going to say, if someone doesn't acknowledge your existence, they're not worth your time. Bob, you can do better than Derek, <laughs> and probably also that Jello. I'm going to say... Partnership is not a one-way street. If someone's saying you're a team and you're doing all the work, that is a bad sign, and you should flick them to the curb, but preferably not flick. so hard that they might die. Flick them like a bug's life. All right. There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. <laughs> and I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Flick them like a bug's Bye. life. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>